Well, thank you for having me back in New Spring. I love your church. I love your pastor. And the reason I come regularly is because I'm his personal psychologist. You know that, don't you? So uh, he's always seems a little normal after I leave, doesn't he? And then uh, have to come back in and normally him up again. You know how that goes. Uh, most of you have heard me speak. I am a psychologist by training, so I'm usually talking about how to have great relationships, great marriage, great kids, be successful in life, and all those kind of good things. And, and we do bring a lot of resources. Matter of fact, we have a resource table that pretty much has a series for whatever dysfunction you have. Uh, here's the key. Most of you don't even know what your dysfunction is, uh, but the person beside you does, right? And so they just need to... Uh, ask them, but we're going to switch gears a little bit today and talk about bad times. Well, let me ask you, how many of you ever had a bad day? Anybody ever had a bad day? You know, you, you know, you know you're going to have a bad day when you get up and your wife says, good morning, Harold, and your name is Earl. You know, you know, you, you know it's, it, it's, it's going to be a bad day. You get up and put your pants on backwards, they fit better. You know it's going to be a bad day. Uh, you get up and your waterbed leaks, and then you realize, I don't have a waterbed. You just know it's going to be a bad day. Uh, I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm talking about when your whole life turns bad. You see, trouble is not a gate crasher. Trouble has a reserved seat in every home. Misery has a key to every house. Nobody lives happily ever after. We live in a fallen world. We live in a difficult world. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist who wrote a bestseller, started the book with one sentence, life is difficult. Life is difficult. And so we're going to look at the oldest, probably the oldest book in the Bible, about the oldest question that everybody struggles with, which is why do bad things happen to good people? And we see a life of a man named Job, and we see Satan, the prince of this world, involved in a communication with the God of all the worlds, and they are actually communicating about a man named Job. Very interesting book. If you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter one, and I want you just not to turn through. I'm going to fly through the whole book today, all right? You got to listen quick, and don't waste your time turning those pages, okay? Just trust me. It's there, okay? You can look at it later, but let's look at chapter one, verse seven. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man. He fears God. He turns away from evil. He is my guy. He goes to that new spring. You know, he gives to the church. He's, you know, he's doing great. He's bragging on you. By the way, God's always bragging on you, and Satan is always slandering you. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? You put a hedge about him. Now, how does he know he's put a hedge about him? He's already tried to mess with him. He's already tried to mess up his life. But God didn't allow it. He's put a hedge about him, about his house. About every side, you put a hedge. You bless the work of his hands. His possessions have increased. This guy is a wealthy dude. He's driving a Mercedes chariot. He's a member of the country club. Kids are going great. No wonder he loves you. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. 
We see what happens to a man when heaven gives permission to hell's power. We see a term that it's, it's hard to understand, but it's called limited liberty. It's where Satan has certain powers in this world. He's the prince of this world, and he can do stuff to you, but he can't do anything he wants to do. He's limited in what he can do. Uh, the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. I, I actually found myself face-to-face with a roaring lion one time. I mean, it was, it was like, like he's there. I mean, just like four feet away, like boom. And he's a big lion, and he's a mad lion. And he, you'd think I'd be afraid, but I'm not me. You know, you don't know how cool I am, really. I mean, I was, I was looking at him, and I was, I was not afraid at all. I had a smile on my face, a little swagger in my steps. Why? Because I was at the zoo. That's why, you know. <laughs> There's this big barrier between me and that lion, you see? Uh, Well, God says I have a barrier. He had a hedge around this man named Job. But Satan, you see, Satan's master plan, and you'll see it all through this book, is he wants to convince you that God does not love you. That's what he wants to do. That's his his final plan. That's his plan. He has no other plan. That's it. And so he says, look, you're his celestial bellhop. You've given him all this good stuff. His life's going great. No wonder, he, no wonder he loves you. But he doesn't love you. He loves the things you give him. Start taking those away, and he will curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, you can mess with him. Again, limited liberty. You cannot touch him. But everything he has, you can destroy. And overnight, Satan destroys everything Job has. He has 10 kids. They're dead. He has all this wealth. It's gone. Everything, overnight, he loses it. Everything. What would, what would your response be? You wake up in the morning, you've lost everything. What would your response be? Here's Job's response. Chapter 1, verse 21. And he said, Naked naked came out of my mother's room, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, what a response. I don't don't know if I could say that. I don't know if you could say that. Job said that. How, How could he say that? Well, he understood that he came into this world without anything. That's how you came into this world, you know, without a stitch. You look kind of nice all dressed up today, but you came into this world naked. That's what the Bible said. You know, I did this at Children's Church one time. I was trying to convince the little kids, uh, you know, you came into this world naked, and you came into this world naked, and you came into this world naked, and Chris stood up and said, I did not, and you better not tell my mother either, you know. Uh, <laughs> It's something embarrassing about coming in the world that way. But that's how you came in. It, it, remember? No, you don't remember, do you? Uh, but let me just remind you, it was the best nine months of your life. I mean, all you did was eat and float and float and eat and eat and float and float and eat and eat and float. You know? uh, I mean, how'd you like to do that this afternoon? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? Just eat and float, eat and float, eat and float. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, boom, you're born. You know? This doctor's smacking you on the rear, and, 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 
And it's a shock. I mean, you don't know how to walk. You know, you don't know how to eat, really. You know, you don't have a job and they tell you $60,000 on the national debt. I mean, it's, 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 it's a shock, you know. And then you look up and all these people, you know, you're screaming your lungs out, you know. But all these people are laughing, you know. They're in a happy mood, you know. They're, they're mom and dad and, and grandma. Well, they're not grandma anymore. Grand. People aren't grandmas anymore. You notice that? My, my wife said, I'm not being a grandma. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be Mimi. Mimi? What am I going to be? Pee pee? You know? Uh, what's with that? You know? I said, I don't care if you are Mimi. I'm not pee pee. You know? So I'm Papa. That's what I am. I'm Papa. You got to come up with something, guys. You better be thinking about it. You're not ready for that. You better come up with it because your wife's going to come up with this cute little name and you got to come up with something else, you know? Uh, but, you know, you get to know them and they're pretty good to you. And then, you, you know, you go to school and high school and college and then, then you get a job and then you have kids, you know, and then you're the Mimi and PP. And then you get sick, and then you may go to the same hospital you're born in, and one day they may put no visitors. And you'll go out the same way you came in, all alone, without anything. Life goes full circle. Death runs in my family. I think it runs in yours. You know, you pretty much come in this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's pretty much how you're going out. <laughs> Short trip from diapers to depends, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. when, I was a, when I was a kid, my dad helped me go to the bathroom. My dad had cancer. I helped him go to the bathroom. Life goes full circle. But how could Job say that? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me tell you how he said it. Here's what Job also said. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Even if if worms devour this body, and this is before Christ, he didn't understand it all. He just knew his Redeemer lived. Even if worms take care of this body, still somehow, I don't understand it, I am going to see God. My Redeemer lives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, that's the paradox of life. When you come in, you're crying. Everybody else is laughing. But when you go out one day, if you know Jesus, you'll be laughing while everybody else is crying. That's why Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But Satan's persistent. He said, okay, he passed that test. But let Job feel pain. Let me mess with him, and he will curse you to your face. And overnight, Job was in unbelievable pain. He could walk without unbelievable pain. Now, he's lost his family, doesn't have any kids. He's lost his wealth. He's lost everything. Only thing left is his wife. Only source of encouragement he has now to get him through this is his wife. Mrs. Job responds in chapter two, verse nine. Here's what she said. Do you still hold fast your integrity, 
curse God and die. Hey guys, I'd like to be married to Mrs. Job. <laughs> First sign of trouble, check your life insurance policy and just die. You know. What happened with that? I'll tell you what happened with that. Same thing that happens to a lot of us. You get married, you have kids, and you start investing in your kids. And you quit investing in your marriage. I always tell people, life really begins when the kids leave home and the dog dies. I mean, that's pretty much where life really begins. I mean, you can run around naked if you want to. I mean, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a whole lot of fun when the kids leave home and the dog dies. But you have to be ready for it. You have to invest in it. You can't just invest in your family. You have to invest in your marriage because I promise you, the Bible says the same storms come to your home, whether it's built on the rock or whether it's built on the sand. Same storms come. Some of you, the best thing you can do right now is start investing in your marriage. And then Job's friends show up. Now, Job's friends are not the kind of friends you want. They were, they were, church, they were church guys, you know, but you know, it's amazing what church people tell other Christians sometimes, isn't it? I mean, I grew up in it. We both, Margaret, we both grew up in it. We understand it. You know, I, I, I sang my first song in church. Church lady is sitting right over there. I came down and she looked at me and says, it wasn't as bad as it sounded. <laughs> I wanted to say you're not as ugly as you look either. <laughs> you know, where's some encouragement here, lady? You know? Uh, so Job's friends show up. They show up actually to do ministry, but they left him in misery. They did not empathize with Job. They wanted to talk like they were God. They started speaking like God. They, they started speaking like they knew why he had difficulty, that you've got some sin, and that's what causes your problem. They had no idea why he was having problems, but they assumed they did. Job starts to get discouraged by his friends. There, there's some things in life you can't get through by yourself. You, you're going to need some friends to get through. When uh, we lived in Dallas, we used to do a lot of ski leadership retreats in Vail and some of those places up in Colorado. My wife just became a skier just like that. I mean, she just picked up snow skiing. I did not. It was pretty much a contact sport for me from the beginning. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I said, do these skis have airbags? You know, I looked for that set and they didn't, they didn't have those. And uh, matter of fact, any, any sport that has an ambulance at the bottom of the hill, you know, you got to really work at it a little bit. Uh, I uh, just never seemed to to, to get it. Uh, but, and by the way, if you've, if you've never been snow skiing before you go take lessons, you'll have the life expectancy of a fruit fly if you don't. Uh, <laughs> so we were on this particular ski trip. I was the speaker and the leader and I skied the first day and it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal. Uh, and by the way, let me, let me, if you, if you need to go skiing, let me just give you something practical here today. I'll give you some exercises to get you ready for skiing. 
okay? Just find some steps and run up those steps like over there and then come down without your legs. Just boom, 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 boom. And then run up there again and boom, 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 boom. Just do that about four or five times. That'll get you almost ready for skiing, but not quite. Then find a wall like that wall over there and just, just run into the wall. Just, just run into the wall, you know? And the wall will knock you down and knock you down. And then have somebody put ice down your back while you're trying to get up. Put ice down your back. And then when you get up, give them lots of money. Oh, here's lots of money, lots of money, lots of money. Well, that's, that's kind of what's going to happen, so get ready for that. Well, I, I just had a bad day, so I decided I'm not skiing the next day. I'm going to sit in the hot tub. I'm going to take the day off, you know. I'm going to spend time with the Lord, you know. We always spiritualize our psychological problems. And so uh, my wife comes by and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking the day off. She says, you can't take the day off. You're the leader, you know. You got to practice what you preach. You got to do what you don't want to do. You got to get out there. I said, do not quote my sermons to me. That, they are for other people. Uh, she said, I said, I'm sore. She said, how could you be sore? You jog two miles a day. I said, when I jog, I very rarely run into trees. You know, or fall down even. But I ran into trees and fell down yesterday. I'm sore. I'm not going. So she gives me that disgusted look. Women go to school somewhere where they teach them disgusted looks. You know, I have a wife and three daughters. I've seen about a thousand different disgusted looks. So she gives me like disgusted look 301 or something. And then my buddies come by. They say, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking the day off. And they said, oh, man, you, you can't take the day off. We already paid for this, man. You can, you can ski. And we'll, 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 I tell you, we'll help you today. I said, no, you won't help me. You'll kill me. <laughs> I said, no, look, look, we know you're struggling. We know you're struggling. We've been there. We know you're str- We'll help you. We'll just go on the greens and the easy blues. And, you know, and if you ever go snow skiing, they, they got some really nice ones. I mean, it's, it was greens, and, and, and they got sweet names like Peter Rabbit Run and Peach Blossom Hill, you know, and, and, and that's what we're doing. We're just going on Peter Rabbit Run and Peach Blossom Hill, and it was easy, and we make a turn, and we're on a black slope, and it's straight down, and there's nowhere else to go, nowhere else to go. I am scared to death. I am looking straight down. I start confessing sins I just thought about doing. I mean, I, I'm going to die right here. You know, I'm, I'm surrendering to foreign missions. You know, God, I'll go to Pango Pango if you get me down this mountain. Scared to death. All of a sudden, I hear a good friend of mine, an excellent skier named Tim. He's over there. He said, don't look down, Charles. Don't, don't look down. Don't look down. Make your little S's. Just make your little S's. Come over to me. Come on, come on. You can do it. Come on, come on. And I made, I made it over to him. And then he skied to the other side of the mountain. He said, don't look down. Don't look down. Just make your little S's. Come over to me. And he got me down that mountain. I want to tell you, my friend, there's some mountains in this world you can't get down by yourself. You've got to have some friends. 
You've got to have some people who will comfort you. Not, not, not quote scripture and tell you what God's done. No, just to be there, to be there. And let me tell you what friends need to do. They need to have a listening ear. Sometimes you just need to talk. It's good catharsis just to get stuff out. You need to talk. You need a sensitive tear. Listening ear, sensitive tear. Sometimes you just need to cry. You know, Mark and I have a mutual friend that he lost his wife. And uh, many times we just cry. We, we, you know, he, sometimes he asks me to pray. I, can't, I gotta start crying. You know, and he starts crying with me. You know, crying is cathartic. There's, so, there's, there's, there's grief in there, my friend. You gotta get it out. You gotta get it out. If you don't get it out, the body picks it up and you'll have other problems. You need, need somebody to cry with, especially you guys. You know, just, just cry. You, know, you need uh, truth without fear. Okay, listen to ear, sensitive to ear, truth without fear. You need somebody who will tell you the truth. Somebody who will tell you the truth. Uh, this is the way it really is. Quit rationalizing. Quit doing this. This is the truth. And then sometimes you need a, a kick in the rear, right? You just need, you just need to get, quit throwing a pity party. You need to get up and do it. Now, when people are hurting and it, you want to be their friend, remember this. They will never get over you know, a tragedy. They'll never get over it, okay? You try to get them to get through it so they can learn to live with it. It'll always be there. It'll always be there. So do something, not platitudes, but something practical. When I lost my grandson, the lady that helped us the most, that gave us the most comfort, said, I'll come to your house. I'll answer the phone for two weeks, and I'll take messages and I'll tell them what happened. I know you don't want to repeat that accident where you lost your grandson. I will tell them the story, and then I'll take their name, and you can call them or message them if you want to. That, that, was, such, that was such a comfort to us, you see. Enter their world. You have to be there, and the time you don't want to be there is when you need to be there. Because you, you say, I don't know what to say. Well, good, don't say anything, all right? Uh, don't say anything. Just be there. And then help them do the practical things they have to do. Don't let them totally retreat from the world. Then grief will overcome them. Your part of your sanity is getting back doing the routines of life. If you've got kids, driving the kids, you just go with them. You help them continue their life. The, uh, isolation and inertia will what will do you in. If you quit moving and quit being out there and, and you stop being around people, the grief will overcome you. The tragedy will overcome you. So you need to, to be involved, and you, you need, as a friend, to help that person stay involved. You do the driving the first week or whatever, whatever it takes to get that person back in the world and do that. Job's friends didn't do that. Matter of fact, they were so bad <laughs> that here's what Job said to them. Chapter 13, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard it and understood it. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you. In other words, I know all the scripture you've quoted me. But I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue my case with God. But as for you, you whitewashed with lies. Worthless physicians you are. And then he says this. I love this verse. Oh, that you would keep silent, and that would be your wisdom. You know what that means in real talk? Only if you had enough sense to shut up. You know, that's what he said there. You know, you know, 
Sometimes I want to say to some people, just shut up. Come on, you know. Do something to help the person, but shut. See, they couldn't. Isn't it interesting that Job's friends could not become human? They tried to act like God. But God became human through Jesus Christ so he could comfort us, so he could be with us. Well, it doesn't go very well. So Job says, I want to argue with God. He gets to the point we all get to. Well, let me just ask you. How many of you ever wanted to argue with God? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. The rest of you, liar, liar, <laughs> pants on fire. We've all want to argue with God. Why? Because we have this Adam suit, or you have your Eve suit. That's the body that we have. And the body that you have wants what it wants. It wants to do what you want to do. It wants your way. At Christmas, if everybody would just do what you tell them to do, it would be a great Christmas. Why? Because that's the way we think. We're selfish. It's part, that's one reason God's got to kill your Adam suit to get you into heaven, all right? But, but it does not want to act better. It wants to feel better. It does not want to plan. It wants to appeal. It doesn't want education. It wants medication. And it wants the world to do what you want. It's, it's all of us. Listen to your prayers. Your prayers are just basically telling God what to do. And then, of course, in Jesus' name, amen. You know. <laughs> this general, he was a uh, uh, head of a lot of different things. But one thing he was ahead of was one particular military post. So one day he got to thinking about it. So he did the paperwork. He wanted an inventory of everything they had at this particular military base. He did the paperwork, he filed it, and then he got to thinking about it on a Saturday morning, about a month later. He got to thinking, what happened to that paperwork? I haven't heard a thing about that inventory. So just impulsively, he picks up the phone. I'm gonna call down to that base, just check on it. Well, he gets some young private doing Saturday morning duty who doesn't know anything, but he calls and says, uh, have you heard anything about that inventory down there? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're working on that. Matter of fact, we're, we're, we're doing great, man. We're, we're finding lots of good stuff. You know, he's a, he was a you know, quick-thinking private. He, just making a, he starts making up stuff because the general said, well, what have you found? He said, oh, man, we got, we got 100 Jeeps. You know, we got 52 helicopters. Man, he's just making up stuff. You know? And uh, he seems, the general seems to, I mean, he, he, the guy seemed to be liking it. You know, he didn't know he was a general, but he, he seemed to be liking it. And so he just started going, you know. And then finally, not knowing he was a general, got to the last statement and said this. And by the way, we found five Cadillacs for those fat generals to ride around in. Well, the general on the other end got really quiet then. He said, young man, do you know who you're talking to? And he said, no. He said, I'm General Edgar Brown. And boy, it got quiet on the private's end. But he was a quick-thinking private. So he said, well, General, do you know who you're talking to? And he said, well, no. He said, good, goodbye, fatty, and hung up the phone. <laughs> now, let me tell you psychologically why you laughed at that. Because you resent authority as much as I do. And God is the ultimate authority. And Job started to resent it just the way you resent it. And he says, God, I want to argue with you. I want to tell you why my life is not 
fair. I've been going to church. I've been doing this. And it's not fair. Well, God shows up. God shows up and he says, Job, I tell you what. You're not going to argue with me. You're not going to question me. I am going to question you. And he starts with all these questions about the world. How was it created? He talks about gravity. He talks about the weather. He, at one point, he says, you know, Job, and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, one day they're all going to get excited about computers and microprocessing. And I put wisdom in your inward parts. In other words, I put a computer inside your head. How did I do that, Job? Question after question. And Job knows no answers. He's getting very quiet, very quiet. He, God basically says this, Job, were you there when I created the world? Do you know it's my world and not your world? Job, do you, you ever watch Discovery Channel or National Geographic? That's what I do. That's me, you see. And so finally, Job gets to respond. He says, behold, I'm a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, twice. I'll proceed no further. In other words, I am nothing. I know nothing I've said too much already. You ever rehearsed a speech with an authority figure and realized that this isn't going well? Job starts to realize that this isn't going well. And then, then I love this part of it. He, 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 being a psychologist, I'd put it this way. Job, let's do some role playing. You want to be God? Let me tell you what they expect. They expect thunder. So if you want to be God, Let's see you thunder, Job. I mean, let, me, let me hear your best thunder. And Job's probably thinking, man, I don't, I don't do thunder well. <laughs> let me ask you, how do you do thunder? How would you run creation where the sun comes up every morning and everything spins and everything works perfectly? All of a sudden, Job starts to realize how small I am and how big God is. And he makes the final statement. If you turn over to the end, I told you I'd get through Job. You turn over to the end. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. He says, God, I'm sorry. I know it's your world. I, I, I know I'm limited and I don't, I don't even understand. I don't even understand how the whole thing works. Now, did Job understand his problems anymore? No. You may never understand why you have problems. Matter of fact, you may never understand if Satan's messing with you or not. Because most of us, we can cause enough problems on our own, right? Uh, Job didn't, he never understood it. But he realized that God loved him enough to enter his world. Remember Satan's plan to convince you that God doesn't love you. And this world will beat you up any way it can to try to convince you of that. And eventually this world will kill you. But 
Job understood his Redeemer lived. And he knows him personally. And we understand that our Redeemer lives. And he knows us personally. And that's the perfect love that casts out that fear when difficulties come, when troubles come. There'll be times when you can't celebrate your life. What do you do? You celebrate the Lord. There'll be times when you cannot feel God with your faith, especially you cannot feel him with your feelings. So you start to feel him through your word, through his word. You start to feel him through the friends that have faith. When you cannot understand the circumstances you're in, you focus on the character of God and that he loves you. Because in this world, if you're not careful, the feeling of your condition will overcome the power of your position that you are a son and daughter of the creator God who loves you. You say, well, how do I know God loves me? Because he left his world and entered your world and he promises that he'll never let go. You see, the only way to get through hell's power is to focus on God's promises. The only way to get through bad times is to focus on the end times. My daughter Casey, she was about four. She, she hit her chin on the coffee table. I got home you know, a few hours later and she was already playing, running around, you know, having fun. I said, let me see your chin. I looked at it, it's a pretty, pretty good gash. I called a doctor friend of mine and he said, we better sew it up. I'm afraid it's going to scar. Meet me down in the emergency room. I'll sew it up. You ever tried to reason with a four-year-old? It's right up there with leprosy and root canals. I mean, I, I, uh, I tried to tell her, we need, to, we need to go to the hospital and sew up your chin. And she said, Dad, it does not hurt. It hurt a long time ago and you weren't even here. Uh, yeah, it does not hurt now. I said, well, we, we still have to sew it up. She said, will it hurt? And I said, well, yeah. She said, well, it doesn't hurt now. Why would we go hurt it again? No sense whatsoever. So what I did is I just got down on her level. And by the way, if you ever want to talk to a kid, just get down on their level. Just pray I get back up too. Uh, I looked her right in the eye. I mean, if you're a kid, think about it, a kid. They, they talk to people like this all the time, you know. So get on their level if you really want to tell them something. I said, Casey, you know your daddy loves you, don't you? Yes, sir. You know I wouldn't do anything to you that wasn't absolutely necessary, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, Casey, your chin's never going to be like it ought to be unless we go to the hospital. We're going to have to go to the hospital. Got to trust your dad. Tears in her eyes. Yes, sir. Now, being a psychologist, I said, now, honey, after this is all over, we go to Walmart and get you a prize. She said, that'd be good. <laughs> we start to pull in the parking lot. And she said, Dad, I, I got a better idea. Why don't we go to Walmart first? <laughs> Whether you're four or 40 or 80, we always want the prize before the pain. I said, no, honey, we, we, gotta, go, we gotta go in here first. We're in the parking lot. She grabs hold of my hand and said, Dad, would you hold on to me and not let go no matter what? I said, honey, I'm going to hold on to you. 
We went in that room and I held on to her. And you, if you've ever been there, you know it's bad. She cried, I cried, the doctor cried. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> but I'm holding on. We get out of that hospital room, we're headed to the car. I feel that hand tighten up, squeeze again. I said, Dad, I love you. Thanks for holding on to me. And I thought, that's God. So you see, no matter what you're going through, he promises, I'll never let go. There's a boy in South Florida. He had one of those really bad days. It was so bad, he came home and threw his books on the front porch. And he was so angry and so frustrated, he just jumped in the lake in his backyard, swimming with his clothes on. So mad he wasn't even paying attention to where he was going. Instead of the middle of the lake, he was going to the side of the lake. And all of a sudden, he was nose to nose with an alligator. And the alligator starts coming after him. He makes a U-turn. He's getting out. He's going as fast as he can. Alligator's gaining. He's screaming, hollering. Neighbor hears it, calls 911. Mother hears it, and mother hits the water. And mother and alligator arrive at the same time. But you know mothers. <laughs> she, <coughs> she won, right? <coughs> Excuse me. She won. <coughs> Excuse me. They had to take him to the hospital. At the hospital, stitched him up. He's fine. TV reporter gets a hold of it. He's, he's checking out, and the TV guy's there with the camera. He said, look, everybody out in TV land wants to see those scars where that alligator had a hold of you. Can you she show, he said, oh, yeah. He starts showing the scars. He said, but let me show you my other scars. I'm really proud of these. He said, what other scars? He said, the scars on my arms where my mother wouldn't let go. You ever wonder why when Jesus came back from the cross, he still had the scars? Why? He had a glorified body. Why would he have scars? Scars are for me. Scars are for you. God wanted you to know that he never lets go, even in death itself. And Jesus has the scars to prove it. Let me tell you, when you get in difficult times, what you want is relief. And by the way, the world will offer you, it's, a, it's the time when people get addicted, it's the time when people get in all kinds of psychological problems when they just want relief. Because remember, your Adam suit just wants to feel better. And the world's a Ponzi scheme. The world was always telling you you can have this without that, and you can for a short period of time. But by the time of that shows up, you're addicted to the this. And many times that's worse than the original problem was in the first place. So when you want relief, you have to focus on your belief. You have to focus not on the circumstances, but on the character of God. You have to have friends to support you in your faith when you can't feel it with your feelings. You have to have friends around you to encourage you and keep understanding that the way to handle those bad times is to always focus on the end times. Little boy was a had his 10th birthday. His dad always told him, when you're 10, you're going to get a dog for your birthday. He was so excited, man, 10, I'm going to get that dog. It's going to be great. They take him at 10 years of age to the pet store. And there's dogs running around. They're, they're everywhere. And he's just looking at them. And he's taking forever, you know, just looking at these dogs, looking at these dogs. And he makes his choice. And dad said, well, Son, why did you pick that dog? Because in dad's eyes, he picked the worst, sorriest, ugliest dog in the whole group. He said, Dad, 
I've been watching him the whole time. And ever since I've been here, his tail has been wagging the whole time. I want that one. I want the one with a happy ending. That's the one I want. Let me tell you about life. It is difficult. Nobody lives happily ever after. And eventually, this world will kill you. But Jesus said this, you will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The prince of this world, Satan, will be defeated by King Jesus. And Jesus promises to me and to you a happy ending. I've studied all therapies. I've studied all philosophies. Jesus is the only one that promises a happy ending. And one day he says, I'm going to take you to my heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm going to give you your prize. Jesus will win in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that you're such a good God. Thank you that you're our God because of Jesus Christ. Someone is struggling right now. Their world's falling apart. Help them to focus not on relief but on belief. Help them to be encouraged by fellow followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I believe there's someone here today who's never trusted you as their Savior. Today, you give them the faith to believe, not in a religion, not in being good, but that you love them enough to enter their world, to live a life they could not live and die the death they could not die because you wanted them in your forever family. All you ever wanted was a family, and you included us. Give someone the faith to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just please stay where you are for about 90 seconds. You know, this part of the sermon, I think about it every week, and I guess watching it, watching one, made me think about it even more. When I get to this part of the sermon, I realize the rest is up to everyone listening to respond to that message. You know, Charles has just talked about how God offers eternity, a free gift, and it now is up to us to respond. Have you ever thought about the fact that the one way that God set up for us to get into heaven is simply to trust him? Not to pay for it, we can't. Not to live a life that we can't live, but to trust him, to believe. And I want to just ask you the question, are you prepared for the life to come? I lost a really good friend this week. A really close friend. Um, he's... Frankly, he's a, he's a Jewish rabbi. And the Jewish organization was going to release news of his death, and they knew I was a close friend. I was in North Carolina. And the leader of that organization called me and just said, I didn't want you to read this in an email, Mark. I just want to tell you. My rabbi friend passed away suddenly. We've had many lunches together. I've spoken in his synagogue a number of times. And when I heard that news, my mind went through every conversation I ever had with him. All of us are going to leave this life. Are you prepared to go? I have, I have other friends who are non-theists, and 
they'll, they'll, they're gracious to me. They'll say, well, Mark, you're a person of faith. And the idea is, I, I, don't, I can't have faith in God because I, I'm not a person of faith. You are per, all of us are pre, people of faith, whether you believe in God or not. I was realizing this when I was coming back from Wilmington and driving to Charlotte to uh, go to the airport. I was behind a pickup truck, old ratty pickup truck, and they had a long trailer attached to it, and I was in the lane right behind him, and I thought, I have faith, I guess, that whoever hooked that, tr- pick, that trailer up to that pickup did a good job. I'm putting my life in that person's hands. Isn't it strange? We trust all kinds of people, and yet the question comes to what Charles was talking about. Can you trust the God who directs the sunrise? Well, the Bible tells us that he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And the blood that came out of his body was a currency that pays for forgiveness for all of our sin and healing for all our dysfunctions. And anyone, no matter what you've done or what your past is, anyone who is willing to put all your trust in Jesus, to let him pinch hit, pinch run for you, to live the life that you can't live, to die the death that it wouldn't matter if we did die that we could have everlasting life. And he says, all you have to do is ask. Well, here's what I'm going to do to close out this service. I'm going to say, if you would like to invite Jesus Christ into your life, I'm going to ask you to reach out to him. And I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. And these aren't magic words. You can use your own if you like. But if you'd like to, to use the words, I'll, I'll pray this prayer slowly so you can decide if you want to own these words and say them to God. You ready? Would you pray with me, please, everyone? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he lives, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for making me your child in Jesus' name. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, real quickly, we're about to be released here. (laughs) If you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift box for you. I prepared it for you. It's got a lot of great items that will help you take your first steps in following Jesus. You can go to any info center and just say, I prayed with Mark. That's all you have to do. Nobody will hassle you, stalk you, ask for a routing number. All they want to do is just give you that gift box. Just say, I prayed with Mark, and they'll give it to you. Thanks for being here. We start Clash of Dynasties back up next weekend. By the way, did you enjoy Charles? Let him know you appreciate him being here.